Connection and engagement brings you ideas for connection with others and activity ideas to promote maximum participation and help people enjoy a good quality of life. Susan and Andrea bring decades of experience working in the disability field. They have a passion for working with people with disabilities and the people that support them. This is a practical podcast, giving you tips and ideas for building relationships and providing activities. They are both occupational therapists currently working in the field of positive behaviour support with Scope Australia. You may notice they have English accents, but now live and work in Australia. Hi, Susan and everyone. Um, We hope you all enjoyed our first podcast and found it helpful. Hi, all. It's Susan here. Um, Really excited to be with you again today. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this one. Do you want to tell us what it's all about? Yeah, well, this is going to be the second in a series of podcasts, having fun with the people you support. And last time we talked about generating activity ideas. But today we want to talk about how to successfully run inclusive activities. So we've identified that it needs the following qualities. And look, I'm not going to just list them all here because it'd be pretty boring for you. So we're just going to chat about some of the points, but we will list them all in our downloadable resource. Now, the first thing we need to think about when we're looking at inclusive activities is that you run something that people are actually interested in. And in the last podcast, we discussed how you might find out what people are interested in. Yeah, but Susan, how do you make that work? Um, Because you like to have people with lots of different interests. Yeah, well, Andrea, you have to think about what an interest is, because it's not just about the subject matter. For example, some people might love horse riding festivals and placing bets, but others couldn't care less about the race. But you know what? They might enjoy dressing up and attending the event. (laughs) Here we go again. Uh, That ties up with my interests as well. But seriously, off the top of my head, I'm thinking about how that will work. Well, look, you could incorporate um, decorating hats for the events for those that like to make things and for those who like to dress up. Yeah, we could also run a short horse race on the TV to um, create an atmosphere for those that actually enjoy watching the race. And yeah, on a sensory level, um, other people might really enjoy feeling and exploring some of the textures, say, of making hats, or maybe they might enjoy the experience of tasting and smelling the food and drinks that you might have at a race festival. Oh, hang on, I've just had a thought. What about coconuts? <laughs> I know you're nuts, but what do you mean, coconut? Well, you know, when you get the halves of the coconut shells and you kind of clip them together and go, the clippity-clockety sound of the horses. And look, you know, yeah, I know it sounds really crazy, but it's a real sensory event as well because you can feel all the sort of fibres of the outside of the coconut. Somebody might like to smash up the coconut, but you'd have to remember to drill a hole and take the milk out first or that'll go everywhere. And then you can <laughs> taste the milk and you can taste the flesh. Um, but of course, remembering to check that people don't have allergies to coconuts first. <laughs> That's a great idea. I'd forgotten about those. And if you can't get your hands on a coconut, you can always use those cardboard cups and clip them together, clip them together because they make a similar sound as well. So, uh, 
yeah um back on track yeah look well you know before we go on I just wanted to say that really it's just about using your imagination as well because it is all about having fun because that's the other thing to keep people interested is to make it fun but anyway um let's not forget that enjoy listening to other people talking about an activity or listening to a story so it might not actually be about going to the races but it's more about the rhythm of the voice um, and then people feel included in this story yeah so it's uh, really horses for courses oh no don't start <laughs> <laughs> So the other thing is that we have to um, make sure that these activities are accessible to all. Um, so let's talk about the ways we can make it accessible because you may have a house or a day service um, with people of different abilities. So you can make activities accessible in a number of different ways. For example, looking at different communication skills, people's sensory preferences and their level of physical ability. So, Andrea, did you want to talk about communication and how we can make it accessible for all? Yeah, well, think about the people that you're working with. Um, people, everyone has different levels of communication and understanding. Some people might be able to read and speak. Um, other people might communicate using pictures. They might be able to recognise them or use pictures to communicate with you. And, of course, um, lots of people understand using gestures. And for people that we know well, we can often assign a meaning to their behaviours. So if you think about some people may shake their head and turn their body away, and that might mean no, or they don't want to engage. And for others, when they reach out, we may take this to mean that they're interested in something. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing is, in terms of sensory preferences, um, people might have different sensory preferences or abilities. For example, people might be visual or hearing impaired, and that's going to have an impact on how you set up the group. Um, the other thing in terms of sensory preferences is that some people might love exploring and touching things, whereas others hate touching stuff, particularly slimy things. So you might have to think about adapting your activity. Um, if people aren't liking to touch slimy stuff, you might put things in a bag so people can squish and feel, and they can still get the sensation of things squishing and moving around, but they don't have that horrible feeling of sticky stuff on their hands. And look, and I really identify with that because I hate, like if you're making bread dough, I hate the stickiness on my hands. The other thing to think about is some people might not like the noise um, generated by the food processor because it's that particular wine that they don't like. So you might need to get in touch with your therapist and look at some desensitization programs or actually look at using different types of equipment. So you can you can get these, I think Tupperware do them, um, where you've got a ripcord on a handle. And so you pull it like starting a motor on a boat. And then you've got blades on the bottom of that that whiz around and cut things. So you're going like pulling this string. And um, not only does it cut, say, your onions, but you can also get a lot of kind of proprioceptive or that resistive input from pulling. Um, and then another strategy that a person might like to use noise cancelling headphones. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm, any excuse for me to get to a Tupperware party, Susan. So if you're hosting one, send an invite to Actually, me. Actually, I suddenly thought maybe I shouldn't be doing product placement. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you need to worry about that. I think that's quite funny. <laughs> So 
So, yeah, moving on, um, the other thing we were talking about um, to make it accessible is thinking about people's physical skills. Um, so what you have to think about is that you've got people in your group that might be mobile and walking around and others that might be using wheelchairs. So um, it's really important to think where people are positioned in a room or around a table um, so that they can maximise their access to the activity. And you might find that some people, for example, have one side of their body that has better strength and coordination. So it's really important that someone's positioned where their better side of their body can access the equipment and tools. Um, and of course, you know, the other way of creatively working way around that is think about the way people grip things um, like the tools such as spoons and paintbrushes. Um, you might find that it's helpful to make a handle or a spoon uh, of a paintbrush. And I'll say that again. You might find it easier to build up the, the handle of a spoon or paintbrush to make it bigger because that's easier for people to grasp. And also, it's important to remember that it's often easier to grip a horizontal handle than a vertical handle. So adapting some tools might be really helpful. Yeah, and look, we'll put some pictures in the downloadable resources of the different types of handles to uh, make things easier to grip for people. But anyway, so um, the third thing to think about um, in making activity successful inclusive is to have it simple and easy to set up. So it's all about the preparation. So we don't need to prepare so too much. Um, we can just up and Look, go. Look, what I meant, Andrea, is that if you prepare your activities in advance, yes, of course, that's going to take a little bit more time. But in the long run, it's less time because you know what you're doing. You've got your equipment. You can repeat the basic process. That sounds like a great idea. And I think part of that is making sure that resources are readily available. And that can save um, a lot of time and cost. Um, so first of all, think about, things that you've got around the workplace that are lying around that you could find useful or, you know, things that you could bring in from home. It's like we were talking about hats earlier, you know, have you got hats that you could bring in from around home for an activity or <clears throat> also in this, you know, the way things are at the moment, just getting uh, things easily from shops and supermarkets and don't forget the good old $2 shop and the hardware store. And there's always heaps of resources around in our environment. Uh, so things in your garden, your yard, the local park, you know, collecting up feathers and leaves to save for activities. Yeah, look, and that reminds me, I often talk to people about taking Ziploc bags out with them when they go, um, say, to the park, because you can collect items that you can then use in a, maybe a century story later. So you might get bark from a tree or... Um, feathers from when you've gone to feed the ducks or pebbles for if you go out to the beach and um, we are going to be talking about using some of these um, resources as part of a sensory story we're looking at the beach sensory story next time so yeah um, as we were saying it's keeping it simple that's really important so, yeah, you don't need to do a three-course meal, especially if you're preparing lunch. Because um, the problem with lunchtime is that you have a habit of focusing on getting the task done. And then the, t the staff end up doing it. And it's not really a quality activity. You know, also because people are going to be hungry. Um, so it's hard to focus on the activity itself. So perhaps doing things at other times of the day work better. For example, you know, making a simple dip for later, baking a cake or, you know, maybe a smoothie. So um, 
yeah, that's one way of keeping it simple. But another way of keeping it simple is to repeat activities with slight variations. And look, you know, some staff say, yeah, but people get bored doing the same thing all the time. But you know what? The people we support, in fact, all of us need repetition to learn. For example, I still look at my recipe for sourdough bread. But, you know, over time, I'm not going to need that recipe. And I'll then have the confidence to adapt the recipe as I've learned the basics. And, you know, I, it really gives me a sense of mastery and achievement, which is good for my self-esteem, because um, I'm not actually known for my prowess in the kitchen, Andrea. Well, you know, Susan, as you get better at that bread, um, you could maybe put in um, some olives or some sun-dried tomatoes. Just a very <laughs> You know what? Olives might work for you, Andrea, but I actually don't really like them very much, which is unfortunate as I live opposite a massive olive grove. Oh, my goodness. Send me an invite. I've been <laughs> nicking them all the time. Oh, look, Andrea, it just shows again the importance of knowing people's individual preferences. Yeah, absolutely. And um, just while we're on the subject of keeping it simple, just another quick hot tip. Um, I find it really helpful, and I know you do, Susan, that once you've run an activity, that you put it away in a box and you save it for other occasions because then you've got all the resources in there to use again. So it means you can grab it when you need it and no prep at all and off you go and also you can still use the activity box but just vary some vary it slightly yeah yeah so look it might seem a bit of work to set up an activity um, in the first place and actually that's a really important point that people need to be given time to prepare these activities but you know in the long run it's worth the effort and saves a lot of time and stress Another thing to make sure the activity goes well is to think about setting up the environment. So you might want to turn off distractions like the TV or radio and also just let people know that you're running a group. So you're really respecting and valuing the importance that the group has in people's lives. So just ensure that other people aren't clattering around, clattering around in the background. Um, for example, you know, somebody else isn't in the kitchen trying to unload the dishwasher as you're trying to run your group. Um, and even at day services, you know, sometimes you might want to put a note on the door to say, you know, group in progress. So people just don't come barging in, um, especially after you spent a lot of time trying to get people settled and focused on what you're doing. The other thing is to use cues so that people know what's going to happen, you know, particularly um, as everybody's at home still at the moment. But even later in the day service, you're often doing different activities in the same room. So how do people know if they're going to be doing cooking or art? Um, so you might use objects of reference, which might be an object that represents that activity, like a wooden spoon for cooking or a paintbrush or art smock for art. And for those who um, recognise pictures, you can use the picture to let people know that this is the activity you're going to do now. Yeah, really helpful hints. Um, also, I was just thinking as well about when you're talking about setting up the environment and respecting and valuing <clears throat> the group. Um, one thing that always has been a bit of a bugbear for me is around toileting you know all too often I've been running a group and someone just barges in and takes someone away in their wheelchair to go to the toilet and to coin a phrase it really stops the flow um it's so much better for everyone is everyone to actually go to the toilet before the activity starts and again it's, it's about respecting the group so um yeah again around um the environment Remember to think about um, if you're doing a tabletop top activity, can actually everybody get around the table? Um, 
you might need to pull out the table from the wall, for example, especially if you've got wheelchairs. And the other thing is always think about um, if you're running, say, two groups in a room, which sometimes we have to, particularly in day services, is there a big enough distance between the two groups? Because otherwise that can just be too noisy and overloading. Yeah, and the other thing as well that can always be helpful is making sure that um, people have got access to the equipment and the appliances that you're going to be using. Yeah, and look, you can actually adapt some um, equipment by using switching equipment where you can turn equipment on by pressing a big switch, okay, because that's easier for people to access. But look, remember, if you choose the right equipment in the first place, you might not have to adapt it. So, for example, if you're buying a food processor, it's usually easier for people to do a push down button rather than try and turn the dial, you know, because that twisting action is quite difficult for people. So think about the equipment that you're using when you're doing your activities. Yeah, just uh, simple ideas like that can make a real difference. And um, again, along with all the other things that we need to consider about running an activity, one of the big things we need to consider is safety. Mm, yeah okay well you know particularly if you're doing cooking activities um so because it's really important that we're looking at people's mealtime plans because can they eat the foods that you're preparing or even you know the the hard crunchy stuff that you might be putting into a meal um the other thing to think about is any allergies and uh you know we all know about nut allergies but actually i was really surprised to learn from my neighbor that can be, be can be allergic to watermelon because I just thought it was all water. But, you know, apparently it's fairly common. Um, oh, look, the other thing going back about equipment is that, um, you know, we talked about sometimes you'll use a food processor. That's if people don't get upset by the noise because of the sharp knives. But actually, Andrea, do you remember we used to have knives attached to a chopping board? Yeah. And you know what? You can still get all that stuff. Um, if you go to some of those ability shops and or look through catalogues or online, you can often find a lot of uh, adapted kitchen equipment, such as um, built up handles, which we were talking about earlier. Um, also kettle tippers so people can safely uh, pour boiling water um, and kinds of things that would make things a lot easier. If you're in for the long haul, um, it really might be worth investing in some of these items because they really actually do make a difference. So, yeah, um, back mm. on to safety. Um, we also have to think about uh, things like some people can't immediately feel hot and cold. There could be a bit of a delay. Um, so you've got to be aware of people having uh, burns, for example, if they touch things because they may not feel it immediately. Um, also, people not being aware when a surface is hot, like a sandwich press, because you can't tell when a sandwich press is hot, it doesn't glow or anything. Um, the other mm. thing is working around things like gas, gas stoves. They can always be a concern for safety. And getting back to the sandwich press, of course, um, if, you, if it's difficult to use a gas stove or it's not the safest option, yeah, go for using the sandwich press, just being, just being aware about the hot surfaces, because you could use it for cooking uh, things in the middle of the table, or you could use an electric fry pan, um, so it, in a way, it's more accessible as well because people can actually access things on the table easier and it's probably safer. Um, but of course, what you also have to remember as well that you've probably got a few cables around. So you just need to be aware of those as well. So mm -hmm. there's just a few examples to consider. And I'm sure that you can think of many, many more in terms of, you know, what you need to be careful about when you're running a group. 
Yeah, and look, you know, I've come across instances where people are using electric knives and accidentally cut through the lead of the switches, you know, so you do have to be really careful of um, of your leads and be aware of what's going on. Don't have a really, really cluttered surface. You know you have a successful activity when you've got people Yeah, engaged. that's the key to it, but... Um... I think sometimes it's actually quite hard to tell whether people are actually engaged. Yeah, well, thinking about you, Andrea, when we're talking about some of the admin tasks we have to do, I can tell that you are not What engaged. do you mean? I love admin. <laughs> yeah, right. You keep changing the subject and fiddling with your hair. Well, it's either that or I'll fall asleep. <laughs> yeah, right. Anyway, obviously, I've been able to pick up the sides of boredom for Andrea so look out for signs that people are not engaged, okay? And some are subtle signs, but some are quite obvious. So um, a person might just get up and um, leave the activity, leave the room. Um, of course, they might just need the toilet. But, you know, if they've had that glazed look, um, they're kind of rocking in their chair, you know, and they're really not focused, the chances are they're getting up because they're just not interested. Um other people might chew on their clothes if they're, they're not interested or they're not, not involved enough. Um, you might get people who aren't giving you eye contact. They keep looking away. And, you know, you might find that people aren't responding to cues that you know they normally respond to. For example, every time you call their name, they'll look to you. But this time they're just kind of away with the fairies. So really not present for your activity. Yeah, um, I can think of an example where it hasn't been clear whether a person is engaged or not. Um, we were running a cooking group um, and we were all sitting around the table and I had a young man that didn't appear to be engaging. Um, he just kept walking around and around the table. And I noticed that while he was walking around and around, he was just looking at the activity out the corner of his eye. So we invited him to join us, but sometimes he would just sit for a few seconds and then he'd start walking around again. You know, I know he's a very active person and uh, he definitely needs lots of movement before he can fully engage. But I also think he was trying to work out what he was meant to be doing. So what we did was to start trying to include him by giving him tasks that we knew he was comfortable with and also had lots of movement. So um, we incorporated that his job was to collect all the ingredients for the activity for, from a low cupboard in, uh, in the kitchen and carry them to the table. Um, that way he was getting a lot of movement and changes in head positions, which in, inputs a movement sensation into the body. Yeah, we also um, included um, him picking up anything from the table which needed washing and taking it to the sink. Um, this was great because there were tasks that he knew he could do. He was moving around and this is what his way of feeling in, of being engaged, but also feeling included. So um, over time, as he got used to the activity, he then joined us at the table sometimes and was able to stir the mixture for a moment, which for him was a really big achievement. So let's look at other factors that can promote engagement. Look, I think it's really important that your activities have an element of choice and control. So, for example, you might be doing scones and you might provide the um, choice of, I don't know, cheese or chocolate scones. 
Um, again, people can feel in control and part of it if they can physically be involved in the activity rather than just sitting there and passively watching what's going on. So we talked a little bit about the different handles and switching equipment you can use so that everybody can be involved. And just remember, we talked in the last podcast about every moment has potential. So think about how you can actually um, break down the tasks of that cooking activity um, so that everyone can be involved. So, you know, a person might not be able to peel and, you know, chop up the banana for the smoothie. But if you just um, break the top of the banana off, they might be able to peel the rest. Or you might have somebody who um, their job is just to pick up the banana peel and you put the bin right by them so they can just easily pop that into the bin. So they're they're actively involved in that activity. And, you know, it's also about feeling accepted and that you are part of the group. And Andrea, look, you know, I did like your example where you talked about the person who was wandering around, but actually he was still part of that group. Yeah, um, it made such a difference when we learned ways to include him. Um, yeah, so thinking about some of those other things, I think it's really important that we have some structure to, to the session. You know, what we basically call a beginning, a middle and end. And the reason I say that is because if people know what's happening, they're more likely to be engaged. Yeah, yeah. And look, you know, when I was run, running a lot of groups, I would actually start with a music cue as well. So we used um, food, glorious food or, you know, beat it for another job, for another group. Um, and so I'd have that. I'd have my object of reference. And I also had a greetings routine. So um, this particular group, everybody was in big wheelchairs with um, trays. It was difficult to get close to each other, but we actually turned the wheelchairs around so that people could actually see each other and be close. And, you know, after, I don't know, it's probably six months to a year, somebody reached out to another person to say hello. And it was just beautiful to see. Um, and look, you know, at the moment we do have um, physical distancing and things like this. But, you know, hopefully we'll get back to um, kind of our new normal um, and we can we can look at um, doing these greetings routines again where um, people can actually physically touch each other. So anyway, so that was my beginning. The middle was the activity. And then people knew that we were finishing because we had a pack up routine and we used a finish mat in a washing up bowl so that people could put the dirty ingredients in that bowl if they couldn't physically walk over to the kitchen and take it to the sink. Oh, that's all really helpful. Um, what I was thinking as well, Susan, is that we've covered in a way how to do this mm. stuff and given a, a process. But um, what if it's not working? Well, what do you mean by not working? Well, what I mean, what I don't mean is it's not about the cake flopping or that your artwork was a disaster. That's not the point. Yeah, yeah. OK, I see what you're saying. Yeah, it's about the process. OK. So think about all the things that people enjoy doing and being involved, making those scones. And it doesn't matter if they turned out more like rock cakes, okay? Because there's been lots of sensory experiences, opportunities for stirring, choice making and interacting. And look, you know, if everything goes wrong, it can be a topic for a story. Susan, mm -hmm. <laughs> we're getting ahead of ourselves again here. We're running away with our enthusiasm. So don't go there yet. We'll save that for talking about in another session. Oh, oh, okay. All right. And I hear you. Um, but look, you know, things. sometimes things do go wrong in groups. <clears throat> Excuse me. As I said, it's not about the cake flopping, but what 
when it goes really wrong, it's about people being disengaged or showing signs of distress. And they might resort to communicating this distress by using behaviours of concern. So we really need to reflect and explore why people got upset or disengaged. Mm, Definitely. Um, Another incident that I can recall was when I was doing a consultation for a therapist in a school for children with additional needs. Um, The therapist was telling me about a teenager who really enjoyed a cooking activity each week, which was to make a stir fry. So they were chopping up the vegetables, cooking them. And then the plan was for them to eat them afterwards. Great, I thought. She, it's in, she's engaged she's enjoying it it's an activity that's being repeated so she's getting some mastery and it's also predi- providing her a predictable routine but the issue occurred when everyone in the group sat down to enjoy their meal together every single time she would take one mouthful and throw the plate across the room mm-hmm. and it was quite distressing and it was also putting other people at risk and as a result of that she was no longer enjoying uh she was no longer invited to join the group so actually she wasn't being included she was actually being excluded so um digging down a little bit more um i looked into it and found out that she enjoyed a wide variety of different foods and the therapist knew what she liked um and she put those in the stir fry and the reason why she knew what she liked is because she'd seen the items of food in the lunchbox so that's what she was working on hmm lunchbox I thought there's an idea I had a think and I thought does she have all of her food in different compartments and she goes oh yes we do Mm. so I checked with her mum and um, what we found out was it was really important that she ate each item of food separately and that she did not like her foods mixed together so um, her mum said that mixing food in her mouth was distressing and I can understand that from a sensory perspective, there'd be too many flavours and textures in her mouth at any one time. So the stir fry was never going to work. And the simple solution was that even if they made the stir fry, she enjoyed all of her flavours separately at the end. So we just adapted the activity a little bit for her each week. And as a result of that, she was able to rejoin the group and it worked. Mm. And look, you know, it shows the the importance of reflecting on something, doesn't it? Because, you know, somebody else might have just thrown out that group completely and said, right, that just doesn't work. But actually there was only elements of that activity that didn't work. So if things aren't working, just reflect on why you think it's not working. Is it not meeting a person's interests? Are there sensory triggers? Um, Do you have enough support to run a group with people with mixed abilities? Because it's very difficult to do that on your own. You know, you almost need somebody leading the activity, directing what comes next. But then you might need another staff person to ensure that people get some one-to-one support as they're doing that part of the activity. So everybody's included. Um, And you need people to be able to watch out to see if people are getting distressed and disengaged and they might need a little bit of time out and then come back to the activity. I think you've made a really critical and important point here, Susan. It is absolutely essential to have enough staff to run a group activity. As we said earlier, it's important that a group activity needs to be valued. Um, All too often, because of other tasks that need to be done in the house, um, we might end up with not enough people running the group. Um, And of course, that stuff needs to be done. But leaving um, insufficient people to run a group or even one Mm. 
you're just setting yourself up to fail. Mm, absolutely. Um, yeah. So I suppose what we're saying is really value these groups. They're not just an add-on thing and just filling time. They're actually a time that people can be engaged, connected and learn new skills. But anyway, on a positive note, if we do follow this process, um, we, you're less likely to send in, descend into chaos. OK, so we are trying to give you some tips so we can set you up to succeed. So in this podcast, we've covered what makes a good and successful activity. And we've also put together a resource outlining this process we've discussed, OK, which can be downloaded with the podcast. Now, in the following podcast, we'll illustrate these concepts in greater depth by looking at specific activity. Oh, so what's next time, Susan? Well, we're going to look at running a beach story with a sensory focus. Oh, lovely. I'll bring my hat, my sunscreen then. Okay, well, I'll see you next time. And thanks again, everybody, for joining us. Yeah, looking forward to seeing you all again. Bye. Bye then. <laughs>